Carlos obviously is not with us today. He is on um, vacation slash preaching trip. He's down in Florida with Pastor Keith doing a revival uh, at Pastor Keith's church. And so pray with him as they travel. Uh, they are driving. Uh, and if you've ever seen Pastor drive, pray for them as they travel. And pray for Becca as well. Uh, but that means we have a very special guest speaker today. Our good friend Joe Liggett is with us. Joe runs Ember, uh, which is kind of a young adults, people who are just desiring to see God and to be in the presence of the Lord. It runs on Tuesday nights. I encourage you guys to go check it out. I don't know the address, but it's over on Alexis Road. It is a powerful, powerful service. Love every time I get a chance to go over and hang with them. He's an anointed man of God. He's a man who loves the people of God. And so would you please welcome our brother, Joe Liggett. Praise the Lord. Let's give God praise. Yeah, come on. Let's give the Lord praise today. No flesh will glory in his presence. That includes me. And I know the presence of the Lord is here. Every time I come here, I cry, man. How many know that's a good thing? Well, I think I'm going to preach today, so I might want to take this off real quick. Man, God is good, and it is a truly a privilege to be here with you guys. I just want to take a moment to honor this place. You know, I don't know if you understand that what you're experiencing here isn't happening everywhere. A place that embraces holiness that opens the meeting in prayer that welcomes the fear of the Lord that worships the Lord that glorifies Jesus as Lord above everything I don't know if we understand that that's not happening everywhere that claims to be a church and you may have heard me say this but it bears repeating about 102 years ago in the Azusa Street Revival how many remember the Azusa Street or the stories Nobody remembers it. But out of that movement, that move of God, a mighty move of God, that we are still feeling the, the effects of today in America. A prophetic warning came out of that. And they said, in, in, in 100 years from now, behold, three things are going to occur. Number one, the, the people, and they were talking about America, the American church. They said the people will praise a God that they no longer pray to. How many know we're seeing that happen in America? In the popular churches, even in our city, we're seeing that happen. When he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Number two, that the people would emphasize power rather than right living. How many know we need a demonstration of the Spirit's power, but not without holiness? And number three, that the people would emphasize the gifts of the Spirit rather than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. These are things that we're seeing happen right before our eyes. We are living in a day where we are seeing the very prophetic word of the Lord unfold right before our eyes. But before I preach, I feel like, and this is random, I didn't plan on doing this, but I, as we were worshiping this morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to share my testimony. I've only done it a couple times. I was born in 1977 to my mom and dad. We're actually 
in Rockford, Illinois. They were from Toledo, but they were going to Bible school there. So I was born into this thing. I always knew that I was called by God, even from a young age. I always, I always sensed the hand of the Lord on my life and the call. My life, my story is one of a prodigal son who ran from from God for over ten years and became bound by addiction and the pit that we were talking about in worship. How many know what I'm talking about? Maybe your thing was an addiction, but your pit was something else. I always remember my mom, young, when I was young, she would just, I would, at times I would be laying in my bed or whatever, and she would just be looking at me crying. And it would freak me out. I didn't understand what the deal was. And I would ask her, what's wrong? And she said, nothing, nothing. I'll tell you someday. You're my love child. That's all she would ever tell me. Well, my mom's full-blooded Greek, and she was just from, her parents were from a different culture, a different time. And Back before she met my dad, she got pregnant by her boyfriend, and her mom and dad made her have an abortion. And this is graphic, but in that in that room, after she had that abortion with the blood and everything, she was left alone in there bleeding, and she cried out to God, and she said, Lord, if you would let me have another child, I'll dedicate him to you. And so she had me. And I've always known the hand of the Lord on my life. And, and it's okay. I, I'm going to ask you to not clap during this testimony. Just let the, let the, the Holy Spirit minister to you because this is for somebody today. How many know that God is a covenant-keeping God? Even at times when we try to step out of that covenant, God will keep it. It's a dangerous place to, to step out of that. I want to tell you right now, don't think that you can rely on God to keep the covenant forever. There's a time when it will be it will be stopped if we continue in rebellion. But I remember I think I was like 14 or 15. We had a thing called True Love Waits come to our church. And I remember signing this contract that said, "God, I promise to abstain from sex until I'm married." And I went about my life Around the time I was 18 or 19, I smoked weed for the first time. And that set me onto a trail of hard drugs for years. I overdosed on cocaine in my apartment downtown Toledo about 14 years ago. Had many different situations where I had, I put myself in situations I never should have been in with women. But I want to tell you today that I stand before you as a 37-year-old man who's still a virgin. And that's, I feel like, why the Holy Spirit wanted me to share this testimony today because young people, purity. God has called us to purity. And if you've lost that, God can restore it. I'm not, this isn't a word of condemnation on you. He's got the power to do that. But I'm telling you, if you've set your heart to be pure before the Lord, do whatever it takes to keep that covenant with God. There's something powerful when we, when we abstain from sexual immorality. And let me tell you, the only moral sex in God's eyes is sex between a man and a woman that are married. That's it. Sexual sin harms the soul. It's the sin that, that we sin against our body, the Bible says. 
And it's so critically important to walk in purity before the Lord. Not let things before our eyes that we know we shouldn't. The Bible says the eye is the lamp to the body, and if the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. Oh, but if that, that eye is dark, how bad, how great will that darkness be? And men of God, and even women of God, we've got to make a covenant with our eyes before the Lord to not let unclean things before our eyes. And I'm not just talking about pornography either, man. We put so many things before our eyes and our ears in the name of entertainment that our spirits have become so dulled down we can't even hear the voice of God. <sighs> Praise God. So anyways, that's the testimony in a nutshell. I gave you the quick version. But it is an honor for me to be here. And, you know, I, I feel like the Lord has continually given me a heavy sword word to preach everywhere I go. And so please just bear with me this morning and don't take offense to the messenger. But let's just pray right now. Could we do that? Could we bow our heads before the Lord? And we don't do that to be religious. We do that. We close our eyes and we bow our heads to focus. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are merciful and gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That you are not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance that it is your will that all would come to repentance. So we pray that your will would be done today, even in this place and in our own hearts, God, that you would take your sword and pierce our hearts this morning. God, we need our hearts to be struck with your word. Your word is alive. Your word separates soul from spirit, even divides the, the morrow in our bones, God, we pray that your word would run swiftly today in the name of Jesus. Amen. It really is an honor to be here, man. Pastor Carlos has become a great friend of mine, as well as many people here, even in the room today. And, you know, it's just awesome to, to come to a place that's not so steeped in religion that they welcome somebody who wears a hat. How many know we got bigger problems in the American church than the preacher wearing a baseball hat? You know, I just preached a conference, a pretty big conference in Monroe, and one of the things that I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to say was that line, that we've got bigger problems than the preacher wearing a baseball hat. And during worship, I'm standing in the back, and a man comes up to me and he says, are you going to wear that hat when you preach? I said, yeah, and he looks at me and says, then I won't be here. How many know there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death? That's not talking about sin. Sin doesn't feel right to anybody. That's talking about religion. We've got to be so careful that we don't embrace religion and traditions and rules and regulations and miss this thing. Even the holy people, God, the Jewish people, they require to keep their heads covered when they go into holy places. Come on. This is just a yarmulke with a brim. Come on, amen. That's all it is. can blow the shofar right now and we'll just dismiss. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Okay, so that's it. I'm going to try not to joke anymore. 
Laura told me not to preach on the fear of the Lord, bring a fresh word, so. (laughs) I'm just kidding, she didn't. Um, Let's turn to Isaiah 30, verse 9 this morning. We are in a day in the American church, and I'm going to speak in general terms on the American church today. Not from a place of being critical. Okay, please understand my heart. I love the church. But if we don't understand how bad the crisis is, we won't know how bad we need to cry. We need to travail. These are our people in our land here, the, the land that God has given us, and we are all together. Every different denomination, any church that claims Jesus Christ as Lord. But we are in a day where we don't want to be confronted with the Holy One of Israel. We would rather be told everything is good and God is happy and he's in a good mood and everything is fine. And I don't ever want to presume to think I know what kind of mood God is in. Because the bottom line is God loves people and God hates people. And don't take anything I say just because uh, I've been given a microphone. Take that to the word, please. Look at Proverbs 6 if you want to know what God hates. We've got to understand that God is love. But if you flip two pages before that, it says God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and the blood of his son covers us. God is love and God is light. God is fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire fire it says this is new covenant let us be thankful and so worship god with reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire we need more than ever in america to be confronted with the holy one of israel again in america you know there was a time if you came into the church with unrepented sin in your heart you would tremble not be made to feel everything is okay The reality is, is we need to be confronted with the holy God. We've got to live in this tension of the love of God and the fear of God. Because we're on this road called life. And we need the love of God to keep us from legalism. But we need the fear of God to keep us from lawlessness. We're in a day where people don't want to be confronted with the Holy God, where prophecy has become such just whittled down to a feel-good personal word for you. When the Bible says that prophecy is for the strengthening and encouragement of the church, that it adds encouragement and strength into our hearts when we hear the prophetic word of the Lord, whether it's a fresh prophetic word or the sure prophetic word of the Lord, Peter said you would do well to listen to the prophets in the written word. Let's look at what it says here. Isaiah 30, verse 9, it says, These are rebellious, deceitful children. 
Children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, and these are prophets that see visions. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right, but tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. We are seeing this in the American church right now. Let me tell you, the prophets of old weren't praised and celebrated, friends. They were killed. If you want to follow Jesus, it might not end well for you. Just let me just, can we be real real quick? Let's look at the 12 disciples. They didn't go out in a big parade. They were crucified upside down and boiled in oil and killed. I'm not speaking that over you, friend. I pray that you die of old age, happy and whatever. Yes, fat and happy. That's how I want to die. Just got done eating Golden Corral. Go out in a blaze of glory. Just covered in grease. (laughs) I said I wasn't going to joke. Pastor Carlos, please forgive me. You know I love you. But listen, we are, we are in a day where we don't want to be confronted in America with the holy God. But it's the one thing we need to be confronted with. Because I tell you, many are going to stand before him on that day saying, Lord, Lord, oh, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we even perform miracles, God? And he's going to say, get away from me. Depart from me. I don't know you, you worker of iniquity. Let me tell you, there's coming a day in the church where we're not going to be able to do it our way. It's going to be God's way and his way alone. He's preparing his people, his bride, his church in the glorious last days. And it's going to be God's way or no way at all. I tell you, I believe that some of what we see as the church is going to be kindling for the great awakening that's coming. Because I believe with all my heart that the third great awakening is not going to come out of a time of prosperity, but it's going to come out of a time of crisis. Listen, it's projected that in 10 years, China will be the biggest Christian nation in the world. And it's illegal to be a Christian there. Well, let's say la. Let's marinate on that for a second. Can't own a Bible, and it's about to be the largest Christian nation on the planet. I tell you, it's out of persecution that the church prospers. It's, it's, a, it's an odd thing of how that works. But the bottom line is it should kind of make sense to us. When everything's going great, we usually don't need to pray. We don't feel we need to pray. It's only when somebody gets cancer or something bad happens that we call on God and call the, on people that know God to pray. When everything's going great, everything's fine. We're on vacation. But it's in times of trouble and distress that we call on the name of the Lord. And it shouldn't be that way, but that's the way that it is. That's why it's good to always maintain a thankful heart before the Lord. Always be grateful. Always live in the ever-present awareness of what he's done for us. That's why I love to sing those songs. I'll sing of your goodness, Lord, how you brought me out of darkness the word says, remember the rock from which you were cut, which you were healed. Remember, don't forget. Don't forget what God has done. 
Listen, I think one of the, the worst things in God's eyes is self-righteousness. And it's easy to get there when we forget where we came from. Or we think, oh, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, I've not ever done that. Listen, what you're doing thinking that is probably worse than what they did. Do you know one of the six or seven things Proverbs 6 says God hates is haughty eyes? Haughty eyes looking down on somebody for what they did or who they are. God hates that. He hates that in people. The last thing on the list is a man or woman that stirs up division among the brothers, among the church. We are in a day right now where we need to be confronted, and I'm going to move on now. I came really to preach on two things, the God of Israel and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things we're not hearing a whole lot about in the American church right now. If we ever needed to hear a message on the second coming of Jesus, it's today. We have got to live in the light of the second coming of Jesus because it's close at hand. And he says, no one's going to know the day nor the hour. But out of his mercy, he's given us the signs of the seasons. And you look in Matthew, every single thing, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes in various places, nations rising against nations, it's all happening. And he says that in those days, the love of most is going to wax cold. Many are going to depart from the faith and turn and betray one another. We need to think about that for a minute. You have to be in the faith to depart from the faith. So that means that Christians are going to stop being believers and turn and betray even some of us. We've got to live in the realities of God's word, rooted and grounded in his love and in the fear of the Lord and in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are seeing the prophetic word of the Lord unfold right before our eyes. We are steamrolling into the very fulfillment of every prophetic word written in the Bible. From Israel to Jesus coming back. We've already seen the word of the Lord prophesy that God is going to take the apple of his eye, the Jewish people, Israel, and punish them for their disobedience and scatter them all over the world. And it's happened. And if you need proof of God, just look at the Jew. How can a people be a people for over 2,000 years without a homeland? That's a mighty miracle of God. That they remained a people group for over 2,000 years without having a homeland is unbelievable. Not to mention the insane persecution fueled by the devil himself to wipe them off the planet. We are seeing the very fulfillment. God says, I'm going to scatter them around the world to the four corners of the earth. He did it. And then he says, I'm, I'm going to bring them back and give them a land. We've seen this happen. In 1948, a mighty miracle happened, and God brought them from all over the world, and the state of Israel was born. Praise the Lord. In 1967, They gained Jerusalem back. Did you know in 1948, there was a series of four blood moons? In 1967, when they gained Jerusalem, a series of four blood moons, and we are in the last and final series of four blood moons right now that NASA can even predict will come. And this is the very prophetic word of the Lord. He says, before the great and and terrible day of the Lord, the moon will be turned to blood. We're seeing 
the prophetic word of the Lord come to pass. Now, this isn't to scare you. The only time that should, the only way that scares us is if we have compromise in our life. When you are walking in the light as he is in the light, these things, this is what, this is prophetic. It adds courage to my heart to know, whoa, God is alive. Look at what he's doing. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They're not just going twinkle, twinkle, little star. They're up there saying, look, God did this. God is alive. Oh, praise the Lord. Are we alive today? Is this all right? A nation smaller than the state of New Jersey, Israel, smaller than the state of New Jersey. America like laughs at New Jersey. It's so small and weird. Just kidding. They're fine. Smaller than the state of New Jersey, surrounded by enemies that seek to wipe it off the map that are much larger. How can you explain that they can't do it other than in the hand of Almighty God keeping his covenant that he made with Abraham? In Genesis 15, God, he makes a covenant with Abraham and he says that I'm going, your, your, your people will be like the, 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 the sand of the sea. So God, he makes a covenant. Abraham, he takes three animals, cuts them in two, and there's two birds, and God himself comes down and he walks between these animals. To make a covenant means to cut. God himself comes down and he walks between the sacrifice. And and in essence, what he said is, may I, God, die if I don't keep what I've promised here to you. And we are seeing the very fulfillment of the prophetic word of the Lord right before our eyes. It's undeniable. God, the God of Israel, the Bible says he, the one who watches over Israel, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Oh, the Lord has kept his covenant. He's doing it right before our eyes and nobody can stop it. I love it. I love it. This is what puts strength in my heart to see the word of the Lord coming to pass and going, yes, God is awesome. Look what he's done. Look what he's doing. Oh, no force in hell can stand against the Lord and his anointed one. Hallelujah. He's the faithful God, faithful to a thousand generations of those who love him and obey his commands, it says. He's faithful to a thousand generations, even when men come and go and die and return to the dust. God, who is faithful, remembers. He's not an old grandfather that forgets. He remembers. He doesn't sleep. He stands watch over the earth. He keeps his covenant with his people. Somebody praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, God is awesome. Great and greatly to be praised. And let me tell you, he, Jesus is gentle with his people, but he ain't coming back as gentle Jesus. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, friend. He's coming back to stretch forth his scepter and rule the nations. Out of his mouth will come a double-edged sword which strike down the nations and these governments that think there's something with their technology and their weapons and their tanks and whatever. They're going to gather. They're going to gather to try to fight the Lord. And did you know in the Valley of Megiddo, it's already reported that buzzards are gathering there. Friend, they're going to come and try to stand against the Lord. And with one word, they're going to be vaporized with the word of the Lord. Praise God. Our God is awesome. He's the only God. He is the living God. 
All other gods are idols. They're dead. They're nothing. We serve the one true God, the almighty, powerful Yahweh, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Isaiah fifty nine nineteen, It says, from the west, men will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory, for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I've put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, God can't be stopped. And let me tell you, the enemy, Satan, is a preemptor. He tries to get in between God's plans before they can happen. He tried to kill Moses when he was a baby through Herod, or, or through Pharaoh, killing all the babies in the land. He tried to kill Moses before he could grow up and fulfill the prophecy, fulfill the plan of his life. He tried to kill Jesus through Herod as a baby before Jesus could grow up to be 33 years old and be the sacrificial lamb of all the world. He tried to kill the Jewish people in the Holocaust before the, the, the prophetic word could be fulfilled and they would be brought back to their land. He has even been blasphemous and went to the very temple mount in Jerusalem where God's holy temple was and will be again and raised up a mosque to a dead God and inscribed in stone are these words, far be it from God to have a son. We are seeing the very prophetic word of the Lord happened. I tell you, God cannot be stopped. It does no, no force of hell, no clever plan from a deceitful serpent can stop Almighty. On the very temple mount where God, where the Holy of Holies was, he's raised up a mosque that is completely antichrist. We've got to understand what's going on. Far be it from God to have a son. I tell you, the enemy thinks he has God's high places. But no force in hell can stand against the Lord and his anointed one. I've got to say it again. This is in Psalms 2, and just hear the word of the Lord. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather against the Lord and his anointed one. They say, let us break off his chains. They say, throw off his fetters. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Come on. The Lord laughs at their plans. He scoffs at them. And listen to what he says. He says, or the, and then it goes on to say, then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Oh, God. Do you, are you getting encouragement in your heart today from the prophetic word of the Lord?
This is prophecy. This is what we need to add strength and encouragement to our hearts. We don't need to be told blessing is coming around the corner. We've already, from his grace, we've received one blessing after another. If I don't receive anything else except for my salvation, oh, praise the Lord. If I gotta die in a cardboard box, that's fine. If I gotta be stoned by Pharisees in this city for preaching the truth, that's fine. I praise the Lord. I thank him for saving my soul. I don't need anything else from him. But out of his kindness, he continues to bless us. He loves us. He loves his people. And I want to tell you, the love of the Father is for the people of God. It is a dangerous thing, what we've done in America. And I I wasn't going to do this, but here I go. It's a dangerous thing how we've become in America, running around telling everybody God loves you. Leonard Ravenhill, how many know who he is? You should get hip to him. He's, he's gone now, but I like to refer to him as Uncle Leo. The man was an amazing man of God, and he said this. He was seeing these bumper stickers. He said this, God loves you, God loves you business is sloppy evangelism. Nowhere in the New Testament, anywhere, did the people of God talk about God's love with those outside the church. Out of roughly 35,000 scriptures in, in your Bible, about 30 of them are about God's love. Yet we've made it the whole thing. We've stopped preaching repentance and salvation in America, and we've started preaching forgiveness. Listen, if you can't come to the Father except through Jesus, how can you receive his love unless you repent and turn to the Lord? These are just the principles of God's word. Listen, his love is available to everyone. But let me tell you something. Not everybody's a child of God. John chapter 1 says, To those who believed on him and his name and received him, those he gave the right to be called children of God. New Testament says, Those that are led by the Holy Spirit, those are the sons of God. Not just everybody on planet earth is a child of God. That was a, somebody say amen. Listen, here's the deal. We are called to preach repentance. And I want to tell you something. Nobody gets killed for running around telling people God loves you. Let's turn to Acts 26 real quick. Because you probably are getting mad at me, so we want to look at the Bible. Listen, I praise the Lord for his love. It is because of his great love that I am not consumed, that we're not consumed. Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. How great is his love. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. Oh, we love him because he first loved us. I'm not diminishing God's love in any way. But in, in terms of evangelism, which is what we're called to do, you don't have to be an evangelist to, to do that. We're all called to fulfill the Great Commission, right? The one thing Jesus told us to do. In terms of evangelism, it, it's, we're not called to go out and just bless the sinner with God's love and leave it at that. That's easy. 
Listen to what Paul says. Acts chapter 26. And this is totally a rabbit trail, but we're just going to go for it. Acts 26, 19, he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. Not because he was going out saying, God loves you, everything's fine, he's happy with what you're doing. Let me pray for your ankle and then tell you God loves you and just run off. Are you are we are we on the same page here this morning? I know this this is it's it's irritating to some of us because in America we've gorged ourselves on the one-sided god of our imagination that God is love god and that's it. When God reveals himself one way in the Bible and it's not love 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 or grace 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 or mercy 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 you feel where I'm going here he reveals himself as holy 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 Jesus in John chapter 17, when he's praying, he doesn't pray loving father, merciful father. He prays holy father and righteous father. We've limited God down to this God in our own imagination, the one we want to worship, a God made in our image. It's time that we get confronted with the holy God again. Holy God who produces holiness in us. Not a loving God that produces a flim-flam Christianity that's weak. That's why we're, what we're seeing in America right now, guys. Because God is, is become, we've brought him down to, to our size. We brought him down to our size. We're not looking, I, we need an Isaiah 6 encounter again where he sees God in his transcendence and in his holiness and his awesomeness. And he begins to think a lot less of himself and a lot more of God. And he begins to say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. We need an Isaiah 6 encounter where we get encountered with the holiness of God again. That's not a threat, you guys. I mean, This is a good thing. Repentance is a good word. It's a beautiful gift that God would actually give us a chance to turn. That's an awesome thing. It's become a cuss word in the church. We don't want to hear about repentance. We need to be confronted with the holy God again. Amen. Okay, shifting gears. One of the greatest signs of the return of Jesus to the earth is the ingathering of the Jewish people. One of the greatest signs that the coming of the Lord is close at hand is the ingathering of the Jewish people. And I want to tell you, there's even a movement in the church where Christians are saying that Israel is not God's people. They're anti-Christ because they haven't accepted Jesus, right? Because they deny Jesus. Do we not understand that the Bible says that their eyes have been blinded for our sake? That there's been a hardening of their hearts until the fullness of the Gentiles. That's us. People that are not Jews or Gentiles. There's been a hardening and a blinding of their eyes until the fullness of the Gentiles comes into the kingdom. We've got to understand. It's because of that alone that we should... We should be praying for them. And even more so, the the word says that it's our life lived as a worship before the Lord should provoke them to jealousy. Let's look at Romans chapter 11. 
If you're still with me, say amen this morning. Hope we're still friends after this. I love this place. Romans chapter 11, verse 13. We're going to read a little bit here this morning. How much time do I have? Laura said two minutes. He says this in Romans 11, verse 13. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my people to envy and save some of them. For in their rejection is the reconciliation of the world. Wow. God, we thank you. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And so, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over the branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of their unbelief and you stand by faith. So do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Now listen to this verse. Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. King James says the goodness and the severity of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. I know this is hard stuff, guys, I know. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in. After all, if you were cut off, or if you were cut out an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So he says this in verse 25, I do not want you to be arrogant of the mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. For as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them that I've made with them. And I will take away their sins. Praise God. God has made a covenant with his people Israel and he will keep it. And I believe that we play a big part in that as the Gentile people of God, that we would love him so much in a way that our lives show it and declare it, that it would, every time we even meet a Jewish person that's not a Messianic Jew, that they would be provoked to jealousy, to know this God. And it's not about us convincing them to think like we think and beat them with the Bible, but our lifestyles lived as offerings before the Lord would provoke them to jealousy.
I want to be bold and say this. You probably agree with me, but if you don't, replacement theology is straight from the pits of hell. This idea that's crept into the American church, it's a doctrine of a devil that tells us that God has somehow replaced Israel with the modern day church. Right now, six, seven million Jews have been brought back to Israel just as God promised. This is a glaring reality and it's time for reality to line up with theology. It's not we've replaced them, friend. It's we're grafted into them. It's the other way around. We've got to be very, very careful to not speak an ill word about them. This anti-Semitic spirit is so heavy. I mean, you would think that we would have learned by history, from history what happened in the Holocaust and never do that again. But you see the hatred for God's people is as strong as it ever was all over. We're seeing it even at the University of Toledo. Yeah, the University of Holy Toledo. It's everywhere. We've got to pray for the Jewish people. We've got to lift them up and ask the Lord to reveal Messiah to them, to reveal Jesus, reveal his word, show them. This is the Messiah. He has already come and he's coming back again. And look what the Lord has done. Guys, the psalmist says this. He says, even as the mountains surround Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Wow, I love that verse. Isaiah 66, just hear the word of the Lord. Verse 14, it says, the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but his fury will be shown to his foes. See that the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment upon all men and many will be slain by the Lord. I believe that we have got to look upon the Lord Jesus rightly. Not the version of him that we like most. He's not coming back as baby Jesus. We've got to understand this, guys. He is coming back to judge the quick and the dead. To judge the living and the dead. To bring out every deed, whether good or bad, into the light. We've got to live in this reality. Revelation 19. Let's stand as I read this. Revelation 19 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. He judges with justice. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh are written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friend, I want to tell you today, he is coming back. And he's coming back in blazing glory with the angels of heaven. And you're not going to have a billboard that flashes to you that Jesus is coming back. It's time to repent. He says he's going to come back like a thief in the night. This isn't my opinion. This is book. He's coming back like a thief in the night. And I want to say to you today, if you've got compromise in your heart, if you've got sin in your heart, or you don't even know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, today is your day, friend. In the light of the approaching day of the Lord, we need to ask ourselves something. We need to ask ourselves this question. In light of the approaching day of the Lord, how then should we be living? Jesus said this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35, he says, Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they will immediately open the door. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. For I tell you the truth, he will dress them to serve. He will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready when he comes, even in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect. I want to share with you a story before we close today. About two years ago, a friend of mine, he passed away. Six months before he died, he saw something that scared him. And he came back home and he told his mom, and his mom told this story at his funeral, standing in front of his casket. Six months before he died, he was visiting his mother-in-law in a hospital, and he was like caught up in the spirit and he saw in the spirit realm, he saw an angel standing, two angels, one on each side of her hospital bed. And he witnessed her die. Right before she died, he said, he's like, mom, it was so weird. There was like this silver strap or silver cord and the angel cut it. And when they cut it, she died. In speaking of God himself, Listen to what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes. It says, remember him. Remember God before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel is broken at the well or the dust returns to the ground it came from 
and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. I'm not real big on just doing altar calls for the heck of it, but if you've got something in your life today that you need to get right with the Lord, or you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. And if you can't do it here, you can't do it anywhere. This is a place that loves the Lord. This is a people that loves God. And I want to invite you to come up and I want to pray with you, whoever you are, if you've got anything in your life. I invite you to come right now in Jesus' name and ask the ministry team to come up here, please. We praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Today is the day. Today is a Kairos moment for you. If you hear the voice of the Lord, come forward now. If you feel that tugging on your heart, come now. There's mercy at the cross today. God is not a God who remembers our sins, but he wipes them off the map. He removes them as far away as the east is from the west. He buries them underneath the deepest part of the ocean. Oh, Lord, we praise you. Come forward today. to you and out of compromise Lord hallelujah